Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we are beginning a new sermon series entitled Race and Religion. I don't think I'm alone over the last few months of wondering how as Christians we can make a difference. How as Christians we can help in the healing process of so many things that are going on in our world, particularly the idea of racism in our world today. So over the course of the next few weeks, what I'd love to do together with you is dig into some Bible texts and get some Bible perspective that will help shape our thoughts and our attitudes as we approach this idea of how to interact with people around the entire world and even, of course, in our own country. I wish we didn't have to have this discussion. I wish there weren't still problems in our society between races I wish we didn't have to read headlines about police shootings and brutality and crime and all the things that we're seeing in our news today. But the truth of the matter is this, this side of heaven, sin will continue to rear its ugly head in different ways in our world. We're not strangers to this either, are we? We know that there's this natural thought process that really every human being has, that that their way of doing things, that their way of approaching things, their way of thinking is superior to the way other people might do it and approach it. You understand, I'm sure, that a big part of us has this idea of comparing ourselves to others. Comparing ourselves to others so that we look good and, and maybe just maybe can gain some sort of advantage before God over other people. Race provides a fertile place for seeds of conceit, of arrogance, of superiority to grow. You know how this works, don't you? You can look at somebody else and say, well, at least I don't fall into the same traps that they do in that culture. At least I don't commit the same sins those people commit. See how that attitude creeps into our hearts and lives as well? A few years ago, I read someone who wrote that what we have in America and really around the world isn't as much of a skin problem as it is a sin problem. That statement wasn't meant to dismiss that there is no racism that happens in our world, but that was meant to demonstrate that really there's a much deeper issue at work, isn't there? That's the sin in every human heart. And so as we seek the Bible's answers today for race and religion, it all comes back to the only solution for sin, our Savior Jesus himself. Do you have portraits of Jesus hanging around your house? Or maybe you can think back to all of the different pictures and portraits that you've seen of Jesus over the years. Have you ever considered this? What decisions every artist, everyone who sets out to make a portrait or a picture or a painting of Jesus has to decide before they ever put anything on paper or on a canvas? They have to decide what Jesus looked like. How dark was his skin? How long was his hair? All of the things that have to be decided. On the screen, I put four artist renditions of Jesus. There's literally thousands of renditions of Jesus out there. And if you take a look at those pictures, you'll see the one in the upper left, 
That's a traditional picture of Jesus that maybe you've even seen before, right? Just kind of how over the centuries, especially European artists, maybe have portrayed Jesus. In the middle, we have another more recent portrayal of Jesus. And then on the right-hand side, those last two are actually aided by putting information into a computer about Jesus' background and trying to bring out what Jesus might have looked like. As you look at those four pictures, they bring anything to mind? Is, is there differences that you see that in the way that you perceive Jesus and what he would have looked like? Today we want to spend a little bit of time in Jesus' genealogy. He actually has two genealogies written for us in the Bible. One in Matthew chapter 1 and a second one in Luke chapter 3. The one in Matthew chapter 1 is his legal line through his father, not biological, but through his father on earth, Joseph. The one in Luke 3, most Bible commentators believe, is the ancestry of Mary, Jesus' mother. Both Mary and Joseph draw their lineage from David's ancestry, from David's line. And so there's some crossover in the names. But if you've ever found yourself reading Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, did you do this? Did you just sort of gloss over some of the names? It's hard, isn't it? To make sense of a list of names that seems to go on and on and on. But a close look at some of the names given in those genealogies gives us a new picture, some great concepts about how race and religion might go together. And so today, as we take a look at the Savior's family tree, we're going to see the diversity in Jesus' family line. And as we see that, it is a great reminder to all of us that Jesus is all of us. And that secondly, he is all for us. Let's take a look at how Matthew reports the genealogy of Jesus. He begins with Abraham and ends with David in these first six verses. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. I bet some of those names on that list were familiar to you, but let's just kind of walk through a little bit what Matthew is trying to get at in the genealogy of Jesus. He begins with Abraham. As Matthew's gospel is written primarily to Jewish people, he quotes the Old Testament very frequently. He begins with the man who is called the father of the Jewish nation and the father of all believers, Abraham. Here's the interesting thing. Do you remember where Abraham and his wife Sarah were from? The Bible tells us that they are from a land called Ur. And Ur is located in modern-day Iraq. Abraham and Sarah moved at God's, at God's direction to the land of Canaan. God blessed them with a son named Isaac. But when it was time for Isaac to be married, Abraham sent his servant not in the land of Israel, but once again to a different land, a land called in the Bible Padan Aram. 
Padan Aram. That is modern-day Syria. And there, Rebekah was found for Isaac as a wife. Isaac and Rebekah were blessed with a son named Jacob who had 12 sons of his own. Jacob and his family and that whole line of people after him spent over 400 years in Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt and back to the promised land, you might have recognized on the list the name of a man called Boaz. Boaz married a woman named Ruth who was from Moab. If you knew, if you knew where Moab was in comparison today, you would know, and maybe you do, that Moab is in current Jordan, modern-day Jordan. Think about that just for a minute. In six verses, six verses at the start of Matthew, we understand that Jesus has in his ancestry someone from modern-day Iraq, modern-day Syria, and modern-day Jordan. Just to give you a little bit of an idea about this, do you see that maybe that paints a little bit of a different picture than what we often think when we hear the name Jesus? I have a map up on the board. I don't know how well you're going to be able to see this at home, but uh, maybe a little bit. What this map does is in the, colored, uh, in the colored parts of the map, that's the map in Bible times, and then overlaid over the top of them are red outlines of today's countries. And so maybe you can see down here, this is where Ur is located, and that is in modern-day Iraq. That's where Abraham and Sarah were from. Padan Aram is north of Damascus here in Syria. That's where Rebekah was from. And then we have Moab over here in modern-day Jordan where Ruth was from. Maybe even just mentioning that reminds us that we could think differently about people in that parts of the world. Those are the direct ancestors of our Savior Jesus. I'm not sure how many of you have done it, but it is kind of a new phenomenon in our society over the last few years to do an ancestry test, something like 23andMe. And maybe if you've done it, you've gotten results back that have surprised you. I will admit that I have not done a 23andMe. And yet I have several people that are close to me that have. And here's what I've found. Almost to a person, they are surprised at how much more diverse their ethnic background is than they first thought. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised by that as, as Americans uh, continue to marry one another from different backgrounds, from overseas, as that where they came from to this country. It makes sense, I guess, that, that our ethnicity will spread out. But what, wouldn't it have been interesting if Jesus were alive to take a 23andMe test an ancestry test, what we would find in the diverse ancestry of Jesus? It does change our perspective a little bit when we consider all of the different parts that make up who Jesus truly is. I'd like to share just a few more verses from Matthew with you to, to drive home the point. We'll read verses 6 through 11. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. 
Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the exile to Babylon. The first name on the list is one we're probably familiar with, the name of King David, right? And to David and his descendants, God made an amazing promise that David and those after him would continue to reign on the throne of Israel. David was the second king in Israel, but through his offspring, the line of kings continued in Judah all the way until the exile to Babylon. We're introduced to Solomon, David's son, the third king in Israel, and all of the rest of the names make up this line of kings that came from David himself. Do you remember one of the weaknesses that the Bible identifies for us about Solomon? His weakness was women. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Solomon had over had 700 wives. And as we think about that a little bit, we understand that, that even Solomon's firstborn, the one through whom the kingship was passed, Rehoboam, he was born of a, an Ammonite woman. It's hard to believe and imagine because the Bible doesn't give us all of the details that maybe we would want, but the number of children that must have been running around Solomon's palace from all kinds of different nations. You see, Solomon loved many foreign women, the Bible tells us. Maybe it was through conquests that he won the hand of another wife. Maybe it was through treaties. But Solomon's wives not only provided a varied and diverse background in the palace, but unfortunately caused him trouble in his worship of the true God as well. All of this lines up to make one point. One point about Jesus' lineage. Jesus wasn't from one race. He isn't my race. He isn't your race. Jesus truly is all of us. I don't believe that was a mistake. I believe God purposely made Jesus' background so varied so that all of us could look to Jesus as the one who saves not just one group of people, but everyone. I love how Matthew's gospel makes that point really as bookends to his gospel. Here in the first chapter, we have this diverse lineage of Jesus. And then near the very end of Matthew's gospel, we hear this command of Jesus to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything he has commanded. The conclusion that we can draw from just a small walk through Jesus' lineage is this. Jesus truly is for you. He truly is for me. He is for every single person. Jesus is all of us and he is all for us. His death on the cross is what pays completely, not just for my sins and yours, not just for the sins of the Jewish people into which he was born, but the sins of the whole world. Some lessons that we can take as we just think about this brief walk through the lineage of Jesus, our Savior's family tree. Once again, we simply are amazed, aren't we? Amazed that the grace of God is truly, truly for all people. That that grace of God crossed even more borders to get to your ancestors and mine to bring us the knowledge and faith in our Savior, Jesus. 
we truly are filled with thanksgiving and gratitude as we consider that, that God sent his son for each one of us. But is it possible that a little walk through Jesus' lineage also gives us reason for repentance? What if I would have mentioned names like this before the sermon began? Iraqi, Syrian, Jordanian, black, Hispanic, white. Don't we have pictures in our own minds about what each one of those things stands for? Don't we have ideas about how we've prejudged just by the simple name? Do you see how easy it is for ideas about race, ideas about skin color to come into our own hearts and minds? See, maybe it's just a great chance for us today to think about our own shortcomings, to think about our own judgments that we made, to redouble our efforts to remember the love of Jesus, not just for us, but truly for all people. That's the opportunity that God gives us today to just reflect on what's in my heart, what's, what's coming out of my mouth, what kind of things am I saying and doing to demonstrate the universal nature of the love of our Heavenly Father. Isn't that the mission that God has given to us too? Just like he gave to his apostles to make disciples of all nations that all people might be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. As we marvel at the love of God for us, we want that love of God also to make a difference in the lives of every single person. Maybe it's just a great chance for us again to take to our Heavenly Father prayers to pray for those who have been affected and are continuing to be affected in this world by racism and prejudice, to pray that our Heavenly Father would cover a multitude of sins, including our own sins, with the love of Jesus, our Savior. We know how deep that love of Jesus goes. We know how universal that love is, that, that we all are in the same boat sinfully speaking, but that we all are equally redeemed by Jesus. Listen to how the Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Some takeaways from our first race and religion sermon today, our Savior's family tree. Number one, the diverse ancestry of Jesus reminds us that he is us. All of us, not just some of us, not just a few of us, but that the grace and mercy of Jesus is for everyone. Look at what it led him to do. Number two, Jesus died and rose to forgive the sins of all people. God loved the world, we read before, so that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so based on that love of Jesus for us, number three, we strive to see all people and love all people like Jesus does. Maybe you remember the children's song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, right? A simple lesson but so profound. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. One of the real joys of the ministry here at Wisconsin Lutheran Chapel and Student Center for me, is all of the different places in the world that are represented, not just here in Madison, but right here in our own chapel family. 
It is truly a joy to, to preach on Sunday morning and be able to see people, not just here in person, but hopefully via our live streaming as well and our recorded worship, who are from all kinds of different places around the world. It is such a joy to see how the gospel unites us all in the love of Jesus. I've mentioned to people before that, that I sort of feel like it's Pentecost every day at chapel. Maybe you understand what I mean. Back a couple thousand years ago at the first Pentecost, God brought the entire world to the disciples as the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and they spoke in different languages so that the entire world could understand what they were saying. God has done the same here in Madison and right here at chapel, bringing people from all around the world to hear that good news of salvation in Jesus. Together, we rejoice in a Savior who is all of us. And he is for all of us. He gave up his very life so that we can be called God's children. And that makes us all a part of our Savior's family tree and heirs of eternal life. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.